0: Welcome to Seniority Authority, the podcast where I track down experts to answer your questions on aging. I'm your host, Kathleen Toomey. Let's get smarter about growing older. If you're thinking about that next big step, retirement. Do you have a plan for what your life will look like? Or is it hard to visualize? After all, it's likely that if you're 65, you will have another 20 plus years to live. And that's a lot of golf. If this sounds familiar to you, stay tuned. Today's guest has literally gone back to school to learn about aging, our new choices, and how to create a new plan for your life and he's got suggestions for you. My guest, Joe Casey, is a fellow podcast host, the Retirement Wisdom Podcast, and author of Win the Retirement Game, Outsmart the Nine Forces Trying to Steal Your Joy. I love that title. Joe runs an executive coaching practice that includes how to design a meaningful life in retirement. A former HR executive with Merrill Lynch, Joe returned to school at age 60 to get a master's in gerontology from University of Southern California. He's a certified Designing Your Life coach and was named one of the 23 innovative coaches by Business Insider. A multi-marathon runner, Joe has a national practice and is based out of Princeton, New Jersey. If you're getting smarter, let us know. Leave us a review, a rating, wherever you listen to podcasts. Tell your friends and follow us on social. We're at Seniority Authority on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And don't forget, if you're listening to YouTube, hit the notification bell so you can subscribe or subscribe to our newsletter at seniorityauthority.org so you don't miss a thing. Thank you so much for joining Seniority
1: Authority, Joe. Great to be here, Kathleen. Thanks for inviting me.
0: You have a lot of wisdom, and especially in this area, which is something I think a lot of people don't focus on. But you not only focused on it, you also live what you preach. Since you went back to school when you were 60 and launched a new career, when you contemplated going back to school. Did you have a specific career in mind, Joe?
1: So I was an undergrad psych major, went into human resources right out of school, worked the entire time for 30 years. And then our company was acquired by Bank of America in 2009. And I had time to decide what I wanted to do next. So I considered staying. I knew I wanted to do coaching afterwards, but I was only 52. I thought, well, I'll probably do that later. But I said, why not now? I have the ability to take time and do it. So I went back to school then at that time for training in executive coaching and a master's in executive coaching. And then as I get into launching executive coaching practice, I had clients start to ask me, hey, can you help me figure out what to do after this? Because I don't want to be here when I'm 60. I want to do something else. I had one client that wanted to retire at 55. He was 52 at the time. Well, I became curious about how that works. And I figured if I'm going to really help people figure out what to do with the rest of their lives... I better figure out what the research says and know more about it. So that's why I went back for the gerontology degree. I had never been old before, so I figured it might come in handy (laughs) for me too. And I really was exposed to a lot of great faculty and and fellow students, great research on really getting older because there's a lot of things that are counterintuitive, a lot of things that we a lot of myths that are incorrect and a lot of things that we just aren't aware of.
0: Oh, that sounds so fantastic to really do a deep dive and study the science, and then apply it versus just your typical coaching skills. Speaking of coaching, one of the many certificates that you have is with Bro Burnett and Dave Evans at Stanford, and they create a process and a book, of course, called Design Your Life. What makes that process special as a way to plan your next chapter?
1: I think like anything that helps us grow, it gets us out of our comfort zone. And that's the biggest thing. It really, through a series of very elegantly designed exercises, gets us to think a little differently and to envision the future, but also to conduct experiments, to not have to figure it all out in a linear fashion, but to, as Dave Evans likes to say, iterate your way along the the way. So they take the principles of design thinking and apply it to the future. And it's very good for any stage of life. The book was written based on the undergrad course that they've taught for, I think, about 15 years now. But they learn very quickly. They can apply to all stages, mid-career. And I really enjoy applying it to people in later life who are looking for that next opportunity after they graduate from the world of full-time work.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like graduate from the the full-time work. I'm going to a retirement party on Thursday. I'm going to be using that line with my friend. So is this retirement coaching, is this a new concept, Joe?
1: It's pretty new, although I think it just takes a lot of the career coaching and extends it. There are a lot of new entrants in the field. There's different levels of, of training. Some, in my opinion, experience are very light, so be careful. But I think what it really is, is people value you having someone who's a trusted thought partner who can help them figure out different options going forward which path to take in the design of your life process. We look at three alternative visions for the next five years. And then we have conversations Our clients have conversations with people. We're doing those things that they might want to do doing them today. And I just finished two groups in the last two weeks that I launched in January. And it was great to see people. I learned so much from my clients all the time. People start off an idea, but ban their thinking and test some things and end up launching new lives.
0: Tell us a little bit about your group practice. I know you work individually with people, yes. but you just mentioned some of your groups graduated. Tell our listeners what that's all about.
1: So I created the group process to make it more accessible because I would get some emails from podcast listeners and others saying, I love your stuff, but I, what are you doing for people like me who can't afford to hire you one-on-one? And so bring a small group together. It's usually between six and 10 people. And for three months, every other week, we get together, do the exercises in between, and then in small breakout groups, discuss people's insights. They learn so much from each other, but you basically go through the way. Three phases. The first phase is clarifying values and priorities. What's most important to you now? Second phase is idea generation. The fun part, really looking at what's possible. What are the options? Those three alternative visions of the next five years. And then prototyping. Really testing experiences, trying some things out, test driving some things, or talking to people who are doing what you might want to do. So people have talked to people doing volunteer activities or part-time jobs, consulting, teaching on the side, all kinds of different things. So people in previous ones, I had one person go back to culinary school, not professionally, but he just wanted to really learn how to cook well and show off a it. But a lot of different activities.
0: I could go back to culinary school, but just for the basics, I never <laughs> it never really stuck with me. So I think it's interesting. This sounds like a great process. And it feels to me that, and this may be wrong, but it feels to me that people who are thinking about retirement could be especially stuck in their ideas of themselves that they've Baked into day to day experiences for 60 years. So, is that it feels to me like people need help breaking out of that?
1: Yes, in, in several ways. One, saying, hey, there are a lot of possibilities. It's not just doing what your brother in law did or your neighbor or your sister. You can really create what's really key for you. And for some people, that includes looking back to things they used to love to do before spending all the time on their career and revisiting them or something that they always wanted to spend time on but couldn't and now they well have the time most of the people i work with end up creating a portfolio of new activities some include work continued work in some part-time way or volunteering but in, there's always a learning activity there's always some type of health and wellness thing getting back in shape the first time in many years perhaps and there's community-based things relationship-based things but these are a couple of different options that they're looking at together
0: one of the things that I love about your book is the subtitle, which refers to outsmarting the forces that steal your joy. What are those forces that steal our joy?
1: So what I did is I went back to, through all of my clients that I've worked with and thought, what did they have the hardest time with? What was in their way? What did they have to solve for? And I came up with nine. No client faced all nine. No client had to grapple with them or defeat all nine. But there were usually two or three. And some of the most common ones, the first one right off the bat, particularly for us men types, was boredom. Mm-hmm. They really were fearful of coming off a dynamic, interesting career and then having a blank sheet of on their calendar. And so how are they going to invest their time became one big thing. And the antidote there is curiosity, really being curious about things you could do, being willing to try some different things and experiment. The other one that... That really came is connectivity. A lot of, and again, this is a little bit most I'd say about 60% of my clients are men, 40% women. But I learned a lot of time ago I've been married for 42 years that we're not as smart. <laughs> we're not appropriate <laughs> for some of these things in general. Sorry to generalize, but not, in my experience, it's been true. And so one of the things a lot of people and men in particular I've found so far have a lot of the social connectivity tied up to work. And then mm-hmm. when that changes, they're really, so they have to really find a new tribe. So that that's a big one, is really getting the right social connections. And then the other one that that really surprised me at first is what people get wrong about retirement sometimes is you need to have something challenging you. Just because work's gone away, it sounds great to have a just a vacation, time off, total freedom. But what people really miss about work is that challenge. Not the overwhelming part of it, but getting better at something, accomplishing hmm. something. And so there are things you can do that may be, again, of great interest to you, that you can take up for the first time or pick back up again and really start to try to master and get better at And there's a lot of of value in just having something in your life that's going to challenge you a little bit and push you a little bit.
0: That sounds very intuitively correct that people want to be challenged. And I totally agree with the men thing. Not so much that you're not smart, but uh, men, I think, are less, typically less good at creating relationships and so they rely on either their partner or their work to do that and they're not used to initiating it but that's a new skill you can cultivate
1: absolutely another one that came up was giving up keeping up with the joneses other people's expectations if you're in a career there's expectations from people around you at your particular level or what you your profession or your neighbor's And you reach a certain point with retirement where you have that freedom where you say, look, I don't need to play that game anymore. What's really right for me? What's right for my family? What are the things that I want to do now? It's really me time.
0: That sounds very satisfying. That sounds, but it can be hard if you are extremely self-referential as a person. If If you get your sense of worth by comparing yourself to other people, then that's learning a whole new way to achieve satisfaction. Absolutely. That's a big change.
1: It's a different mindset and it requires some reflection and really some planning to be able to start to take that one on. But it's very liberating when people do it.
0: Yeah. It just sounds like this is a very transformational process for people and a process that people need help with. In your book, you share some great anonymous client stories about people who get stuck when they can't think of a next chapter or can't figure out their next passion. I think there's so many people that experience this. Tell us about one tactic you use in your experience with your clients to help them get unstuck.
1: I'll share one because it was a learning experience for me. I tend to be optimistic, future-oriented, think about the possibilities, what could be. And I was working with an engineer who confessed to me, I'm really afraid of retirement. I'm terrified. He was retiring six months. He said, because I'm going to be bored. And I said, okay, well, we can work on that. And I said, what are the types of things you'd like to do? He said, well, this is the problem. I've literally done nothing but work. I'm all in about work. I don't have any outside interests. Oh, No. So I said, okay, well, I like challenges, so we'll take this one on. And we started to work on some of the exercises, some of the, the different techniques that we have to try to get at that. And then one day, I realized this is really hard. This is a challenging one. What's why isn't this taking off in the direction that I expected to, or the others do? And I realized it wasn't him; it was me. Really, I was, I was taking him forward, which is what he was afraid of. So I decided let me go backward. So I asked some people to just go back in time. And let's take decade by decade. What were the things that you really did like to do before you became your professional self? It's okay. So we went childhood, teenage years, college, pre-professional, early professional life, and things started to emerge. And of that group, he started to pick off things that we talked about. Well, would you like to try those again? Can you bring those back? Start slowly, but which of those? And suddenly... Activity one, two, three, four. Interest one, two, three, four came back, and there were different things that he did. Really, loved, he was very, very into reading. Brought back a practice to reading. Loved working out. Did some different things. Brought back one of his exercise routines. And then the kicker was, he actually started a volunteer activity, which was reading to uh, inner city children because he, did, well, he enjoyed that earlier wow. in life with his children. So it was you know, because I took him backward. That led him forward. So it was a big learning experience for me.
0: That's great. And what a great idea because you're bringing him back to before a time when he was defined by his job and what he could do, what he could accomplish and contribute, and going back to those really initial, very, very impactful experiences when you're younger.
1: Our careers can be like a solar eclipse. But if you start to get some more visibility, the joy can sneak back in.
0: I love that. What do you think holds the majority of people back from planning their next chapter? I think personally, and the reason that I was really excited to talk to you and I really want people to listen to your podcast and read your book, is that People, when you say retirement, they initially think of finance finance, which makes sense. You need money, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, money, food, shelter. But I think a lot of people are frozen when they think about what next. Do you think that's cultural or where do you think that comes from?
1: I personally believe it's from staying in one lane, meaning the financial side, which you have to take care of. It's not easy you got to make sure you're not going to leave your money. It's a left brain thing. It's quantitative. It's linear. It's predictable. You can focus on it and, and come up with a certain answer. But if you stay in that lane, you stay in that mode, that left brain mode, you're missing a whole nother side of the equation, which is the right brain side, which is more creative. I had one of my podcast guests, Brian David Johnson, he wrote a book called The Future You. He's a futurist. And he said, the biggest tool you can bring to your retirement planning is imagination. And hmm. I think that really captures it. That if you really start to imagine what could be using your time, you can balance out the financial plan. It's not either or, you need to do both, but you need to change mindsets to really get at that second thing. You can do some some of it in a linear fashion, but it really takes some experimentation, takes some being open to the different ways of thinking.
0: Well, and I think it's easier in our culture to talk linear and to say, I'm setting aside money for retirement. I'm doing this, I'm doing that it's harder to say, I'm experimenting. I am thinking about what I'm going to do and I might fail and I might try something and then abandon it. And it, it, we're a little bit puritanical in that in yeah. the US, like work yes. hard and, but to just say, I'm just gonna wander around for a little bit.
1: But it's very freeing. It's very liberating when you do that. Had another great podcast guest who I think has figured this all out. Andy Robin, he wrote a small book called The Tapas Life. He said when he was in his career, it was really like a full course meal with a giant steak hanging over the side. So, but when he retired, he said, I'm going to use a small Spanish meal, meals. I'm going to try one thing, add another over time, add a third, and you got up to six. And he discovered if one doesn't work, it's not like professionally where there there's consequences. I can just curtail that and move on to the next thing. So I think that's a useful way to think of it. What would your top-buster retirement look like? What would be the small things you could try and go with? But it is, people find it very interesting when you talk to them about it. Well, I'm trying this and trying that. They they get more engaging. Because a lot of times, if you're running into, I don't go to cocktail parties. I'm more of a backyard barbecue type guy. But if someone says, what do you do? They expect an answer. They say, well, I'm doing a little of this, a little of that, and I'm working on this. And it leads to a very engaging conversation. People are very intrigued.
0: Yeah, it opens up the conversation as opposed to, I'm an engineer, period. That's it. Or worse, I'm
1: retired. I'm a former XYZ.
0: Oh, my gosh. It's one thing we really focus on at Riverwoods, where I work, a continuing care retirement community, that you don't say he was the former COO of XYZ Corporation or she was uh, that you're still alive. (laughs) You're still there. And, you know, she's exploring making her own loom and weaving tapestries, you know, we are still a viable life. And to say was, 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 retired, retired, retired. I love that idea. I think that's a great answer. When someone says, what do you do? And you say, I'm living a tapas life. I'm doing lots of things. I love that imagery.
1: I'm trying this. I'm working on that. It's very engaging. And people, you'll find people will be naturally curious and they'll want to know more and they'll want to compare notes and they'll be very jealous.
0: They'll be very jealous. And you might inspire someone else to start doing this. So if our listeners have decided this is something that they want to do, they want to be thoughtful about their next chapter and they want to chart their own course, assuming you retire at 65, or just using that as a, put a pin in that, When should they start thinking about what they want to do?
1: So most of the people I work with are about a year out. Some are thinking ahead of their year and a half or two years. The earlier, the better, because it gives you more time to experiment and play with. But I think that year and a half, two years is, is ideal.
0: And is that what most of your clients do? They come to you a year, year and a half?
1: They're about a year out. And they wish they started earlier.
0: Okay. And you, in your practice, you do a lot by Zoom. So even though you're based in Princeton, you work with people all over the country,
1: correct? Yes, So I do. So I have an executive coaching practice where my clients are large companies. So I do in-person things, mostly in New York City, about an hour north of here, and some in D.C., some in Boston. But on the retirement side, it's all from all across the country. And... I learned, as I mentioned, so much from different clients, whether they're individual or grouped together. It just opens up new possibilities. People have developed new connections from these group programs. And so tech- we're all used to technology. We're all expert on Zoom now. And yeah. it just allows allows for very productive conversations. So it's usually about three-month process with you know 60 to 90-minute Zoom engagements.
0: Tell me where our listeners could go to sign up for your
1: group. The website is retirementwisdom.com. If you go to the upper right-hand corner, you schedule a call. It's not a sales call. You should probably tell I'm not a salesperson. (laughs) But it's a a call where I can talk you through just here's how the group works. Next one starts in April and the next one after that will be in September. But I'll talk about the one-on-one versus that. What are some of the pros and cons? The pros to the group process are people learn from each other. The downside is you don't get the same individual attention. But uh, I like to just have a conversation to get a sense of where people are at and be able to give them a recommendation of what I think is best for them. So it's a no obligation, free call. That's the best way to do it.
0: That sounds terrific. And while our listeners are there, please make sure to check out the Retirement Wisdom podcast. Joe does a phenomenal job. He has a lot of great, great guests. And you've been at this podcast a number of years. Tell me what was one of your favorite interviews and why.
1: Been so many so we've, i've done it for six years now and i like it because it engages my curiosity i get to read books read a book a week interview some of the people and just great to have conversations the one that i would highlight i thought a lot about this because there are a lot of possibilities but that, one that i to highlight interviewed a woman by the name of Catherine sanderson she's uh the head, chair of the psych department at amherst college i went to umass amherst so it was down the road not as fancy as amherst college but i used to go study in the amherst college library Anyway, she wrote a book called The Positive Shift. And the reason I like that conversation, one was she's hysterically funny, but also very knowledgeable, a great storyteller, is she really underscores the fact that in later life, in retirement, no matter what we do, money's important, but our best asset, our most valuable asset is our attitude. And a lot of those things are really controllable. They're really modifiable. You can, as she confessed, have a pessimistic lean, but still learn, as Martin Seligman, uh, University of Pennsylvania, taught us, you can learn to be optimistic, you want to be positive, and it has a ripple effect in your life and on others.
0: That is wonderful. That is, I have not heard of that book, so I'm going to scribble it down along with some of the other books that that you mentioned, and I will be putting those and the links in there, in our show notes along with the link to Joe's book, Retirement Game, Outsmart the Nine Forces Trying to Steal Your Joy. Just diving into some of these books is a great way to kickstart your thinking and your brain. I want to just quickly step back to that one question about retirement coaches. What is the state of retirement coaches? People can go to your website. They can sign up for the group or the one-on-one, but um, there are a lot of coaches out there and they're not all necessarily vetted in the same way. You've got master's in coaching, master's in gerontology. If you had to suggest something to look for in a retirement coach, what would that be, Joe? Or is there an association nationally?
1: There's an association, but it's an association that figured out there's a lot more money in training retirement coaches than doing retirement coaching. So beware. I think the training is important. And my advice in looking for a retirement coach is... You want to you just go into it knowing that you're not trying to hire a friend. So it's not the person you're going to necessarily like the most. You want to have good chemistry. That's important, but it's not enough. You want someone who's going to be able to help you get to where you want to go. So it's like if my car breaks down on the highway and I have to call a mechanic, I want someone who knows my make and models. Even though he or she might be a nice person, I don't want the carpenter <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that has a great sense of humor. I need someone who can help me get from where I want to go. So I think really look at What are you trying to do? And does that person have the experience and qualifications to help you get there? Most times people, there are a lot of people going into retirement coaching as a second career. There are a lot of talented people in the space, but there are some who've gone through light training programs who think they're trained coaches and haven't done really the homework. It's not necessarily their fault, but uh, I would kick the tires. And the questions I encourage people asking is, what's your coaching approach? Mm -hmm. And what's it based on? If they struggle with that question- then I think you know you just have to kick the tires a little further. But get an understanding of what their experience is. Ask for references and see how they respond to that. And really just do your homework and you know hire the person who can help you. And I would also not commit to a predetermined package. When I do the individual coaching, I just have it. You can leave it at any time for any reason. And I think that's important to ask for because you want to make sure it's working right, that you're not being sold, you're being really entered into a partnership. It's important work and you want someone who's going to help you get there. Well,
0: I love your analogy about being stuck on the side of the road, because also it's like a lot of consultants or people that you're working with, you you want there to be an end point. You know, you want to get the car back on the road. So especially if it's a retirement thing, you want to get some direction and then go. You don't want to spend your entire retirement talking to a retirement coach.
1: Absolutely. If you want someone who's going to be a fit for you, and there are a lot of great people out there doing this work, make sure they're qualified, make sure they're a fit for you, and make sure that you can end it any time. If it's not if it's not working, make sure you're not being sold a, a package that locks you in.
0: Is there anything that I haven't asked you about considering your next chapter that you would want the listeners to know?
1: Our futures are often not solo. Sometimes they are, but if there are other people in your life, make sure they're part of the journey as well. Meaning share what you're learning, share some of the resources, share your thinking, and get their point of view also. I think that's been, that's very helpful. Some of the people have gone through my one-on-one and group programs will use some of the same tools with their spouses. If I've coached couples, that's not my forte, that's not what I'm looking to do. I'm not a trained marriage counselor. But the tools can apply and can lead to some very good discussions because one of the things that if people are in a relationship, they often don't talk about this topic very much at all. There was a Fidelity study that came out a number of years ago that the majority of people, they separated the spouses, kind of like the the old dating game, and they asked them when's the other one going to retire, and more than half got it wrong.
0: Wow, that's big. That's really big. Yeah, I think that is important because – when you retire, there's an impact on your spouse, too. I'm My dad is an entrepreneur, and I remember when my he was getting ready to sell his business, and my mom said, well, you have to find something to do, because I am not your secretary. You are not going to... I have lived my own life. You're not going to start organizing me You know when you're gone. So luckily, he did something completely different.
1: One of my favorite titles of a retirement book was, I've Married You Forever, But Not For Lunch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's great. That is awesome. Yeah, very, very appropriate. Well, you've been such a great guest, and we know you're a dedicated, energetic consultant. But let's take a little bit more knowledge about Joe Casey. Just a fast five. What is your favorite guilty pleasure?
1: If I'm in a store and I'm walking through and I see the words Australian licorice, red, oh. I have a hard time going past it. I will try, but that's my thing.
0: All right. Yeah, all right. That's pretty good. What's your favorite healthy practice?
1: Really exercise. So I'm a runner. I'm an injured runner, and but I still run on a machine indoors every day, and I've supplemented it with walking. So any kind of movement, working out six out of seven days usually, that's my thing. So that's wow. the biggest thing.
0: That's the silver bullet as far as I'm concerned, too, is the secret of aging is good exercise. Another one is uh, laughter. What's guaranteed to make you laugh, Joe?
1: Well, right now it's our one-year-old, just turned one granddaughter. She uh, a few months ago started to just roar. So whenever I get along with her FaceTime, we're in person once, twice a month. She will start and end every call with this roar. It just cracks <laughs> me up every time. She just gets on, and roars. She's not talking uh, yet, but she'll, she'll. And she only does it with me. <laughs> and So that's. Oh. that's <laughs> Oh, that's <laughs> it's awesome. It's become our thing. We could start with the beginning of calls. And then when she would sense that the call was going to end, because we're talking to our, our daughter and her husband, she would then bring back the roar to extend the call a little longer. Notice that. So, so it's become a tradition.
0: So do you roar back?
1: I do. I do. Uh, let's let's hear it. Well, I would just do that. Roar. <laughs> just, you know, every single time. <laughs> we would do that for, <laughs> sometimes for a couple of minutes. So it goes It goes on. She won our family football pool regular season and playoffs. So, uh, ah, <laughs> hey, she's
0: pretty for, good. <laughs>
1: yes. <laughs> yeah.
0: She roars and she's a football fan. This yes. Is, she's got quite the future ahead of her. <laughs>
1: we thought she was only picking teams with animals who roar, but she went beyond that.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. You read a lot. You read more than I do, I think, which is a lot. Tell us about the last book that you loved.
1: I try to read um, nonfiction as much as I used to, so I'll hold on that one. But the one that I would highlight that I've read recently that I really like is Live Life in Crescendo. It's by the late Stephen Covey and his daughter, his eldest daughter, Cynthia Haller Haller Covey, uh, I really got a tremendous amount out of Stephen Covey's work throughout my corporate and personal life from the age of 29 on. And so it's something I I touch base with his seven habits every New Year's Day because I like pro football better than college football. So
0: <laughs> but I, I
1: just start the year by pulling it back out and, and reconnecting with it. But it took her 10 years to finish the book, but it was his last work. And it's really about really living life to the fullest and what you need to do to be able to do that. And again, mindset and attitude. But I always found his work to be very useful and practical and profound because it was based in principles. And this one's no different, but she took his concepts, interviewed him and turned it into this great book about uh, living our later life. The contrast was Crescendo, the musical, you know, going up the opposite is Deumendo, which is diminishing. And so that's the basic part of the book is which choice are you going to make and what do you need to do to, to, to live one versus the other?
0: Oh, that sounds fabulous. All right. I'm getting, getting a lot on my TBR stack. (laughs) What's your favorite escape?
1: For me, it's sports. So my wife says she's the only, I'm the only person she knows who wants the same thing for his birthday as when they were 10 years old, which is true for me. It's the Red Sox. I'll be there next Thursday uh good good freezing
0: freezing I know, freezing as, one o'clock as you should yes oh fantastic uh, so,
1: so for me at sporting events uh go to local college basketball games here anything in person the nba one nfl game a year this year went a uh, friend of mine we go to one game on road trip this year we went to la we see the 49ers play the rams that was fun but always sporting events i think for me are key
0: that's fantastic. Wonder. Did you play sports other than running? Are you a football, basketball guy?
1: I was a basketball fanatic. So uh, I played on a very good team. It was my life's mission. That's all I did during my high school. That was my main focus. And ran cross country because if you didn't play football they, back then, they made you. you know, we played three sports. I ran track and ran cross country. So that was but basketball was my main main focus. Uh, still has played until I was 40 in corporate leagues. And then switched to, to running marathons. But I had two injuries. I actually had gone to a Division three school to play basketball out of high school. Broke my arm in six places. Decided oh, maybe, my
0: gosh.
1: Maybe choosing a college based on where you could play basketball was the best idea. And then I woke up and transferred. And then with running, I took as far as I could and then broke my left hip with a half mile to go in the Boston Marathon. And oh. <laughs> so, so, oh, my yeah. gosh. You broke your hip during the marathon? Half mile to go. I had another injury. But I rehabbed it, and then I started to experience some pain in mile sixteen. I knew going into. it. I said, if I if I really start to feel badly, I'm going to drop it. But I kept going, and then I was in Kenmore Square and I could not move. I was just it wasn't painful. I was just just, just paralyzed. And had this great great doctor who got the head of orthopedic trauma surgery to do the surgery the next day. It was uh, seven months of physical therapy, three days a week, hospital uh-huh. for for for, for you know, on crutches four months. But if you're going to break a hip, that's a great place to do it. So I got, yeah, got the I'm care. sure
0: they're ready for it too. I volunteered at the finish line at the marathon and have seen people come across in all different conditions. And uh, my hat is off to you for running like that. That's incredible.
1: It was a great experience. And you know, she went to the head of the BA, got me a finisher's medal, send it, mailed it, got it on Father's Day, which was really nice. And he called me because he said, "I've done doing this for over 30 years, and you're the only one who ever questioned his time, saying that you didn't finish." Because he said we get 300 runners a year saying you, my time was off by three seconds. And I emailed him because I he might have said this, you show me is finishing, but I'm in I'm in the emergency room at Mass General. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> I thought I thought you'd want to know. True sure tremendous visited me every day in the hospital, saw my family, the whole thing. So great care, but um, I was glad glad I did it. And uh, now just can't run out of doors.
0: Hey, it's all about adapting. As, yes, as we get older, absolutely. just do the same kind of thing, but adapt it so that you can do it longer. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. I'm honored that you agreed to be on this podcast. Please, everyone who's listening, check out Joe's website, his podcast, Retirement Wisdom Podcast. So thank you for joining us.
1: Great to be here. I love your podcast, as you know. Follow it. you get some great guests and appreciate the opportunity to talk with you again today.
0: Thank you. That's our show for today. If it helped you think differently, will you help me go to the Seniority Authority page in your podcasting app and hit either the plus, heart, favorite or subscribe button so you don't miss out and tell your friends so we can spread the word. Until then, enjoy the opportunity to get smarter about growing older. That's our show for today. If you liked it, please tell your friends so we can reach more minds and keep the conversation going. Or follow us on social, at Seniority Authority. I'm Kathleen Toomey. Until next time, enjoy your chance to get smarter about growing older.